Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Caring Too Much. This is our second episode. I am David. And I am Alex. And we are very excited to be welcoming you back to our second episode. So we will cue the theme song and we'll get right into it. So today, what we are going to be discussing is um, the displacement of of unhoused people in encampments, um, which, I mean, the city kind of euphemistically calls clearing encampments, um, you know, very cheerful name to slap on um, something where you're evicting people from from their living space and forcing them into unsafe situations. Uh, but that is that that has been a kind of hot button issue in the last few months in the city of Toronto. Uh, one of the big things that that happened recently in May was an encampment in Lamport Stadium was was raided by police after issues of trespass were noted, where were notices of trespass were issued um, to, to the residents there. Uh, and that's something else we're kind of going to discuss is the fact that people who live in a city using public space um, are given these, these legal documents that say like you're trespassing. Um, yeah, I mean, I but, think it's, I think it's just interesting, like, you brought up, like, kind of in, like, I think it was your first sentence talking about, um, you know, calling it clearing versus, you know, you later, in your own words, called it raiding the encampments. And I think, like, even just such a small thing really does change the perspective. And I think it's, you know, as I'm sure you will say more about, but, um, you know, that's very much part of, of the the mission that the city has the like they're not doing that by accident using that language like they are using the words clearing and they're you know putting up those evictions and all of that language plays into that idea that for some reason we've decided that those people are not entitled to use that space absolutely it's it's being um kind of spun from a human rights and and basic like human decency issue uh, into city beautification, <laughs> which it's is, awful. is, yeah, it's awful. Like you're, you're comparing um, someone's right to have a nice pretty park with the right to like have a safe place to sleep and eat and just like exist. It's, they're trying to make those two things seem like they're, equal and there's a debate to be had between the two but there really shouldn't be a debate over like does my preference for a park looking a certain way or a street looking a certain way should that come before someone's literal bed like I, like that yeah. isn't even that, that, I, like when you say it and again that comes back to the language like when you say it that way it's like it's a no-brainer like of course someone's like place where they sleep is more important but by all the ways that you know the city and different you know special interests who have uh i would say an in, a vested interest in keeping you know homeless people unhoused people sorry out of 
or, or keeping them in that situation, um, it all comes back to just the fact that it's intentional. Yeah, um, and there, there absolutely are people who are pushing back against this thing. Uh, there has absolutely been a level of public outcry against the, the city's behavior over this and over the tiny houses thing um, where mm -hmm. some amazing volunteers were building small actual like houses, not, not tents, tiny houses um, for, for unhoused people to sleep in. And the city started tearing them down and being like, no, you can't do this. This is public property. Can't use it for the public good. How dare you? Well, and um, I believe even more than that, they threatened to sue the person who designed those shelters as well. Like it, it was beyond, like, I think that was one of those moments where like, you know, the mask slipped because it was like, okay, if you go by their logic, you know, uh, that the parks need to stay pretty and whatever, then it's like, okay, yeah, then I get why you're removing people from the tents and, and stuff like that in parks. But then they went a step further and like tried to sue the person who was making these people who don't have a place to live, he was making them homes so that they would be safe from the elements because it was, I mean, this has been going on for a, a while, but it was, you know, colder months uh, when people really needed, you know, in Toronto uh, shelter. I mean, and in winters, we see every winter unhoused people freeze to death in the yeah. streets. So it's, there's clearly a dire need there. And they were not only were they sticking to their typical whatevers of, oh, we need to just clear the parks because whatever. Um, they were suing someone making people homes. Like it, it, and I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, if you know differently, but I'm pretty sure the city dropped the lawsuit after there was a lot of pushback. I believe so. That, that's um, what that's I where... remember hearing. But it, it, it's still like, it, it just shows clearly what the city's intent is when it comes to supporting well when it comes to i don't want to say dealing with unhoused people but they they don't view it as supporting unhoused people they view it as dealing with the problem you know and that that's how the city kind of addresses and approaches this issue yeah um if just just back to the issue of encampments um for for a moment and of course it's all connected it's all related issues um, but if you go to the city website, what they say is encampments are only cleared uh, if all reasonable steps have been taken, including helping people get into shelter space and offering these like shelter hotels. And what they don't say is that a lot of the time those are not good or viable options um, for the people in encampments. You know, if someone felt safe in a shelter from, you know, violence, which we have seen increasing in shelters during the pandemic and from the pandemic itself, because we know that shelters are not always a safe environment for, for, for COVID. Um, so just those breaks. basic, yeah. Um, so just those basic, those basic uh, criteria that have to be met, as well as the fact that a lot of the time shelter space is like, like it's not somewhere you can live. Um, one of the big city shelters that, that got opened during the pandemic 
was literally cubicles where people weren't with glass walls where people weren't yep, allowed glass. to put up coverings yeah because the city was like oh what if you have sex or do drugs or want to exist with some god level forbid, of privacy god forbid you live your life it, it it really is interesting to see what the city decides are like human rights for people who like, like we just decide that at a certain point of like not having money which obviously i would say unhoused people probably don't have money as much money as the as other people who have houses um it's it's amazing to see that it's just like once you reach a certain point government will be like oh you know what those human rights that you've been taught since like grade one all like everyone knows are just guaranteed for everyone yeah you don't get that anymore just because you are poor that's basically what it comes down to (laughs) And it is, um, I mean, legally, it's a human rights issue as well. There's, I've, during, during the course of research for this episode, uh, I came across some discussion by, by some constitutional lawyers talking about how if there is not a safe alternative available, raiding encampments and criminalizing people living in them is a violation of our guaranteed charter right to life, liberty, and security of the person. Because you, that is not in keeping with allowing people liberty, and it is not in keeping with allowing people to secure their person and keep themselves safe if you are forcing them out of a safe situation into an unsafe situation. Uh, I feel like and I'm Elle is... Woods in constitutional law class. I love <laughs> <it>. <laughs> this, is, this is just another part of my LSAT prep. Um, and this is very much an ongoing issue, despite the the publicity around it. Um, As we're recording this episode, just a few days ago last weekend, there were notices of trespass issued in a bunch of different parks, um, including including Moss Park, Trinity Bellwoods, Lamport Stadium, again, um, threatening $10,000 fines if people didn't leave, and the possibility of, of further raids. But um, that's the the backgrounder on this situation. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been, I mean, both of us live in Toronto and what I would consider downtown Toronto. We're among the big buildings. Um, and it, it's really been like something that has been a constant thing ever since I moved downtown is hearing about, oh, an encampment got cleared or, or I mean, that's pretty much an encampment got here, cleared here and there and there. Um, and it happens all over the city, uh, but it really doesn't get that much attention. Like un- until recently, when I've started paying attention to, you know, different um, specific organizations and people who are doing work to bring attention to these issues, it really doesn't get anywhere. And it comes back to that topic of, you know, how are we presenting this issue to the public? And I think it kind of, we need to think about what is the public space? Like who has a right to a park, a street, a, a sidewalk, whatever it might be. Um, and the way that it constantly gets framed in news articles or in uh, like any sort of place where you're seeing it, like uh, official releases from the city, wherever, is always with those words of like, oh, we cleared an encampment. Like it's always othering people who 
are our neighbors, you know, like even the, you know, like you would, most people don't jump to thinking of someone who is an unhoused person who like, I don't know, crashes across the street from them. People don't even think of that person as their neighbor most of the time. And like, definitely guilty. I mean, a lot of the time people don't think of that person as a person. Yes. Uh, Not guilty of that. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, it's, the way that we're taught to think about our neighbors and, you know, like our, the people who we're sharing our community with does not usually involve unhoused people. And I think that comes up very clearly in one of my personal favorite articles uh, that drove me away from reading the mainstream, like global CBC, whatever news places, which was, um, let me get the date correct. It was a couple months ago. Um, okay, February 26th, reported by Global News. Uh, a bunch of residents in a East York community uh, had some thoughts about some affordable housing being put up in their, in their neighborhood because it was going to be built on the site of a parking lot, which was, and I quote, a hub, a heart of the community. That's what someone had to say about a parking lot. Someone said that. Think of, um, you know, that they they paved over my my childhood and built a parking lot, and now they're (laughs) paving over the parking lot to build affordable housing. How horrible! Not our parking lot, no. (laughs) But like seriously, there are people who, you know, like, and this just goes to like this is getting a little bit away from the talking about unhoused people, but obviously affordable housing is typically meant for people who have trouble finding housing elsewhere. And even when we're talking about that, like getting people into houses, you know, a quote unquote real house, you know, like we would consider it. And people are still like, I would rather have a parking lot than a house for these unhoused people to move into or precariously housed people to move into. And it's just so ridiculous that we are placed. And so like, I'll give a little bit of background as to why they call the parking lot a community hub. It's because it's near a school, um, a pool for sporting events, and a baseball diamond in the hockey rink. So, like, everyone who has kids, you know, uses that parking lot, and they see each other. And it's always a thing of, like, think of the children, <laughs> right? Um, I always. know, like, the, the high school that my younger brother goes to, uh, a few months ago, they the city decided to... Um, use some space near that high school to to create more shelter space because it was desperately needed. And oh my God, the reaction from the school community, they were like, let's organize a a campaign against this. And like how, what, what kind of place do you have to be in to think of a people who need shelter getting sheltered and decide to campaign against that? Well, that's the thing, right? Like when we're talking about like this public space, who has a right to it? At the end of the day, like, you know, if if someone wants to move in across the street from you or, you know, camping in, in, a, in a park that's across the street from you and they're walking in with a sign that says, I plan to murder this whole neighborhood. Okay, maybe then you can like decide who, you know, can move in across the street from you or whatever. But at the end of the day, what people are largely doing is taking one, at best, a lot of people aren't even taking this look. They're just making an assumption without even 
looking or thinking about these people, but they're taking one, one look at, you know, whoever this person might be, this theoretical, scary person, and they're deciding, you do not have the right to exist near me. That's what it comes down to. And it's just so, it's just so frustrating to, to see that because it's like, you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what anyone's going through. Like, there is nothing that makes the person who is sleeping in a tent in the park across the street a better or worse person than the person who you rode the elevator up, you know, into your apartment today. Like, there's, they, the person who lives in your apartment building could be a way worse person, you know? Like, they, like if you want to look at what harm they might be doing in, in the grand scheme of their whole life, and it's just so frustrating that there is that sort of like valuation that we're applying to people and just deciding that person's not worthy of being near me, but that person is because they don't look like someone that I don't like. And it's just like- At the risk, at, at the risk of going on a little bit of uh, an aside here. <laughs> um, that, no, that, that really, what you said about evaluation, um, that 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 put me in mind of something that I, I I think about fairly regularly, which is the fact that in the system, uh, dare I say it, in this capitalist system, we are are taught it is drilled into us that wealth and morality and like moral value are the same thing, and one one side of the coin is like rich people deserve to be w- rich because they're like good and they worked hard, and on the other side is poor people must deserve to be poor and so therefore they must be bad people you know they must be lazy and uh have all these moral failings and be dangerous to be around our children and it's 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 awful oh and it's and and so like you know to, to kind of sum up this you know conversation point i think who we decide is because like I do think at the end of the day there are people that we should be able to say you don't belong in our public space you know if a group of people show up in a park and they're starting a protest for we don't believe in COVID if the community wants to come together and say we don't want you in our park you know like I think there's there's room for discussions around things like that you know if you are oh we don't want you in the community because you're causing harm to whatever or like there absolutely are things that you know shouldn't be near a school like I don't know we're, we're in Canada so I was going to give like the example of like a gun store maybe but like I don't know um you know like there are there are conversations that we absolutely can have about what can and can't happen in our public spaces you know obviously we need to have those conversations that's what you know we need to have conversations with our neighbors about what we're all okay with but what it comes down to when the way that we're currently treating unhoused people is We've all just decided, and like I say all because we really are all part of it. At one point or another, everyone has walked past someone sitting on the sidewalk because they were like, I am too busy. You know, like it's something we've all done and it's something we all need to work towards being better at. But collectively, we need to acknowledge that we've just decided these people who, regardless of how they got there, regardless of who they are as a person, regardless of anything other than the fact that they are poor, We've decided that we can kind of just like shuffle them around from place to place, 
keeping them out of sight. You know, it's like, oh, we don't want them under the gardener because we want to make a really fancy restaurant there for rich people. So let's push them, you know, somewhere else. Oh, well, we don't want them there anymore. We're actually going to run an event in that park. Like that's kind of just how we treat unhoused people. And it's a lot of it is policy. And it's a lot of it, of course, is things that the everyday person can't just like snap their fingers and change. Um, but as we've seen with enough pushback, that policy can change. Exactly. And there's also so much that can be done, you know, on a personal level. And I think also, especially as Ryerson students, you know, we're like, we're downtown. We, we like, obviously the last year and a half, we have not been necessarily, but you know, when you're on campus, you, you pass unhoused people, the, the lovely person who opens the Tim Hortons door, you know, for, for you, you know, like, like that guy's been there since my first year. Actually, I don't know if he's still there because I haven't been in a year and a half, but you know, like we're, we're around this so often. And I think there's a lot that us as Ryerson students can do small and large. Uh, to, you know, kind of change the perception and change the treatment that, you know, unhoused people are getting in our community. Yeah, so that brings us into our Ryerson recap, which um, actually now is a, a time to mention that we will be calling it the ex-university recap um, in solidarity with Indigenous students who have been calling for uh, the university to change its name and for supporters to no longer refer to it using a name that, uh, that, that honors someone who was involved in the, the creation of the genocidal residential school system. If anyone can think of uh, another X word that could replace recap, uh, we'd love that, but until until such time, it will just not be any, there will be no alliteration, it'll just be the, the ex-university recap. So take us away, Alex. Yeah, uh, so what you were saying earlier made me, made me think of an article that I stumbled upon while I was doing some research. And this, it, it was like 10 reasons not to go to ex-university um, kind of thing. And if, uh, if you've seen this article, you know that number four on the list of why not to go there is that there are unhoused people in the vicinity of the university. Um, Literally, don't go here. There are poor people nearby. That's, that's what this is saying. It's, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and that's number four. They, they, they came up with three real reasons, and then they were like, we're out of things, I guess, and had to be like, there are people without houses nearby. Like, I know, like, a lot of this comes from the misconception that, I guess, homeless people, unhoused people are violent. I can say, as someone who has been assaulted, attacked, and stabbed once, uh, more than like seven or eight times I, I can't even keep track of it you know on or near the Ryerson campus none of them were from someone who at least appeared to be unhoused you know they were it was all people that you you know didn't expect like according to the typical things it's every day I would walk past you know whether it's the person who's holding the door at Tim Hortons or just someone on Gould Street or the the people outside the the safe consumption site on Victoria never once did I have an issue. Never once was there an altercation. And I've 
determined scientifically that I am like a magnet for being mugged <laughs> or assaulted. Because it's like, who gets assaulted eight times in the similar vicinity in like six years? Me, apparently. And yet, never from someone who, uh, of course, you can't know by looking at someone if they're housed or unhoused, but, you know, none of the typical people who looked unhoused. And that's obviously still making an assumption, but, you know, their clothes were clean and looked like they had put them on fresh that morning. You know, so so that's I, I know it's not a perfect assumption, but it really is just like it shows how much that misinformation can harm. Mm-hmm. And this like this misinformation turns into an attitude that is unfortunately widespread. Yeah. That yeah, having unhoused people nearby, like me- certain members of the same community that we all share, um, are a danger. They're unsightly. They shouldn't they somehow have less right as you were as we were just talking about that they have less right to the same space yeah the the fact the fact that this is a widespread enough attitude on our campus that (laughs) that these kind of articles get any traction is kind of appalling yeah i Um, think there's yeah I, i mean i just i just think like it's stuff that we've all got to work on you know like i know that it's it's just and you know trust me from coming from someone who's been assaulted several times by people on the street or whatever um it's hard to kind of get past that fear that we've been trained to have you know because it's not like we know it's not like anyone just woke up someday and was like i'm going to hate people on the street like that's not what happened it was you know through media through all these different things it's just what we've been kind of conditioned to do but we really have to unlearn you know, like we talk about learning and unlearning, like we really do have to unlearn that notion that just because someone is unhoused, they are someone that you need to stay away from, you know, and and also the idea that someone who's unhoused is someone like on the sidewalk. I guarantee you, there are tons of unhoused peers and students that you're in classes with, but are you know, doing the more traditional college thing, which is like couch surfing or, you know, like stays at a different family members every week kind of thing. Like it's, it's all around us. Like it, and it's not something that we should be afraid of or staying away from. It's, there are people who, I mean, some don't need help. Some, some do need and some, some want it. Um, But it's, it's definitely not a group of people that we should just be like, ah, scared to stay away from because there's, there's no reason for that. Mm-hmm. And there, there definitely are people and groups on campus who are working to provide some level of support and, and help and solidarity to unhoused people who, who want that. Um, Caesar and CCSDP uh, have, have both done, done some work to support unhoused people. The university itself has, um, I mean, the, the article I saw this in was from 2017, so I'm not sure if this is still <laughs> true in recent years, but at least at times has helped to uh, to hand out supplies, you know, in the winter, sleeping bags, blankets, that kind of thing. But um, in, in that same article, yeah, there was, there was a mention that, obviously the, the Goodwill is not universal and that some student behavior is not only not helpful it, it is 
actively dangerous and threatening to unhoused people around our campus. Um, our, I mean, the, the, the basic thing to remember is to just work on unlearning that attitude that unhoused people are lesser and that they're less deserving of basic decency. You know, if, if, if someone is asking you for change, even if you don't have change, make eye contact, you know, smile at them, treat them like a human person, because that is, that, that really should be the minimum of how we treat our neighbors. Uh, and if you do have change, it is money, like cash, is the most useful thing a lot of the time that you can give people who are, who are asking for help. Um, because they know what they need, and if they have money, they can get it. Whereas if, if you do not have money, you may know it is very difficult in, in a lot of cases to get goods and services. Um, yeah, and I know I always, I mean, I literally haven't carried cash probably in four or five years, um, unless I specifically needed to. And so another thing that you can do is if you're, you know, walking into the Tim's and someone standing outside and asking you have change, like say, no, but can I buy you something, you know? Um, and if you're worried that they're going to, I don't know, order a whole meal, like obviously you can set a boundary, be like, oh yeah, I've got like an extra five bucks. Can I buy you something with that? Like, you know, there's ways to do it if you're on a tight budget as well. Um, Cause obviously like giving out a couple quarters at the bottom of your pocket is not the same as, you know, writing a free check, you know, <laughs> you're not going to hand anyone your credit card and be like, sure, buy whatever you want. But there's, there's so many ways that you can still help people. Um, and I think it all just comes back to unlearning the fact that, you know, these people are like unlearning the fact that these people are scary and need to be feared and learning just the fact that, you know, unhoused people are still people and have the same needs as you or I or anyone else. Um, and, and just the... like want to talk to people like they're, they're probably not getting a ton of social stuff. So like the thing that Alex said about, like, even if you just have nothing to give them, but you stop and say, sorry, I can't today. Like that's, that goes a long way. Yeah. And I think another really important thing you touched on, just the last thing that I want to say in this uh, segment is ask, you know, if, if, if someone, if you can't give someone money, um, you don't know what else they might need. So if you want to do something to help, ask what you can do. Um, and I like I, I know a lot of people, and this is something that I have been guilty of in the past, um, like make assumptions, you know, that they know what someone is going through and they know what's helpful to them. But like you absolutely don't if, if you haven't talked to that person. So, yeah, like it could even be like, you know, someone like if you like you might someone asks you for change, you say, sorry, I don't, is there anything else I can get you? They might even just be like, you know what, I really need like a tampon. And you might just be carrying one of those in your purse or in your bag or whatever, right? Like it's just, it, it they're, they're people. That's, that's essentially the message. Um, and, you know, we need to unlearn all of the things that, you know, we've kind of been taught sort of fear about people who uh, are experiencing homelessness. Um, but I think, you know, this goes into, you know, sort of that conversation about, you know, like who is affected by 
by the, the general concept of homelessness, houselessness, unhoused folks. Um, and I think the conversation always is on anyone but the unhoused person. You know, how is this affecting them? You know, like, it's always, you know, clearing the park so that citizens can enjoy the park. Well, what about the citizens you just cleared out of the park? You know, like, that's, we talked a lot about sort of shifting that conversation from, you know, pretending that they are not part of the community. Uh, and so we just wanted to go through, you know, some sort of situations where you, we can be doing better, basically. Um, and I think the first thing to address right off the top is just the general idea that, like, people are always saying, like, oh, well, I don't want a houseless person in the park. Like, the immediate question that is, like, it's so obvious that, and it's it's so obvious and it's so upsetting that it doesn't come as quickly to people you know when they're asking that question but the immediate rebuttal is do you think that person wants to be houseless in a park maybe there's a couple people in the world who don't want you know who want to live in a tent in a park but i'm going to venture a guess and say that most people would rather be in a place that is properly insulated has the general basic amenities to support you know, life, like having some place to clean, Running water, place to eat you know? food. Oh, yeah, all those things. Um, and also a place where their neighbors aren't kind of side-eyeing them and hoping that they, that they disappear one day. Exactly. It's, it's so easy to, like, I, I don't know. For me, it, it, it's so obvious to be like, well, like sure like yeah you don't you don't want a house person in the park but like what it, what are we thinking about for that person you know like we really need to be shifting that i, I don't want to say it's not blame but, but like that shifting the narrative yeah i was trying to avoid right. that exact phrase because i feel like we like it's said too much but really yeah like the narrative needs <laughs> the, to be the, the onus if you want more uh more legal terminology in here i suppose thank you lsat prep book um, yeah, it, it's just, it's so frustrating to see like every conversation be, you know, a business owner saying, well, I don't want like a houseless person, like turning away business, you know, if they're, you know, sleeping outside their store or whatever. And it's like, okay, great. Like, obviously that makes sense. You know, you don't want to be losing business because of something that is out of your control. However, at the same time, by making that argument, you are saying that your right to have a profitable business is not even on the same level, but is more important than that per that person who is sleeping on the street, the sidewalk, in the park. Your your right to make a profit is more important than that person, you know, if they were, you know, huddled into like some alcove outside your shop or whatever, because a lot of stores in Toronto have like a little indent where the door is or whatever you know it's their safety it's literally their ability to live at a very very low level of safety at that you're saying that's not as important and it's like i get it you know you as the business owner did not i mean maybe you did gentrification talk that's that's a whole different episode like you know you did not single-handedly walk out there and make that person 
lose their home or lose their money, whatever situation happened that led them to to be there. But like, it's just so backwards. Like, why is the first thing like, I'm calling the police to throw this person somewhere else? Like, how many business owners, you know, are walking outside their shop, seeing someone who's houseless and like approaching them and saying, hey, do you need some food? What can I do for you? You know, and like, even if you're approaching them to say like, hey, would you mind moving? Even that is still, you're still putting your profit, you know, above them, but at least you're treating them like a human, you know, like, it, but I, most people don't do that, you know, from all the discussions, you know, like I remember, you know, um, in front of the Tim Hortons, you know, bringing it back to on campus, the Tim's on Victoria Street um, at Victoria and Dundas, you know, installed like planters where the, the, the people who, because there were two people who were typically, you know, sleeping, living there outside the Tim's and they like just installed planters and was like, well, get out. And, and that was kind of it. There was no, obviously I don't know what went on behind the scenes, but from reporting and from people who talked to those people, it was kind of just like a, well, get out and not really any sort of discussion about how can we have you as a human being be like safe and supported. And And that's very much something we see in, in urban spaces, that kind of hostile architecture approach, you know, in the park, if you sit on a bench and there's a, there's a, an armrest in the middle, that's not there for you to rest your arm on. That's there so that someone can't sleep on that bench. Yes, yeah, which you fun know, fact: some... if you carry around an Allen key, you can unscrew. Many, almost, many of them. Not all, all of them, them are. Yeah. yeah, but many of them. Um, if you carry around an Allen key and one of those screwdrivers with like a bunch of different heads, <laughs> then you can unscrew practically all of them. <laughs> this is our way of telling you that if you are not carrying around a fully equipped toolbox at all times that you are a bad person. And you're just not doing enough. We're not budging from that. You know, as someone who has, could probably count the number of times they've used a tool in their life. And I, I'm grouping all tools. You know, I could count them on probably two hands. I'll give myself the benefit of the doubt. Maybe two hands, not just one. Um, but no, yeah, bringing it back to the conversation, obviously we're kidding. Um, and, you know, some people may not be comfortable I think that's technically vandalizing city property, but it really is about like how yeah, can we're not, we? Yeah, sh- we're not encouraging anyone to commit crimes. Just for the record, no if you encouragement do that on your own time. <laughs> just information. It's just information that we are putting out there. That's what we're about. Um, but yeah, it, it really just is about like you know thinking, you know, looking at a situation and thinking about okay. There is, you know, I'm going to guess that most people probably aren't business owners, so I'm not going to focus on that one. But let's say you're walking through a park and you want to enjoy some amenity at a park. I haven't been in a park in a year and a half because it's been illegal, so I've forgotten what parks are like. But let's say you want to use the water fountain at a park. Um, God, there's so many things that are just illegal because of COVID. I can't imagine (laughs) using a water park, a, a park's water fountain. But anyway. You want to enjoy the trees, the the grass. I think that's still allowed. Yeah, but like there's so many trees and grass. I don't think that'd be a relevant example. Like 
because you could go and enjoy okay, another perhaps, treat. So perhaps. let's say let, let's we'll stick with the the water fountain example. But there is there's there's someone who is sleeping. You know, they've set up their their tent or whatever sort of situation right beside the water fountain or around it. Maybe they're totally blocking it. Who knows? You know, you can absolutely approach that situation. You know, and you know, call the cops and have that person moved. The city will do that, you know, and that sucks. But the way we should be approaching that situation is thinking like, okay, first of all, bare minimum, find another water fountain, move on with your day. Bare minimum, you know, at least you're not moving that person out of the place that they've, 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 you know, set up shop. That and but, also like we know that cops don't treat people well. Um, we have very much seen yeah. you. There's no expectation that person would even be moved safely. You are no. directly endangering someone's someone's health and potentially someone's life. Yeah, we will not encourage you to um, start unscrewing park benches, but we will absolutely encourage you to never call the cops on someone who's just minding their own business in a park. Um, it's it's just not it's uncalled for. It's not necessary. Um, but you know, you can approach that situation as like, okay, this is a huge upset to my day. I can't use this water fountain. Or, you know, take a step back, take that moment to be like, okay, unlearn the fact that how, like people without homes are scary, unlearn all of those things, talk to yourself for a couple of seconds in your head, and then approach that person. You know, maybe just approach them, say a little, you know, nice small talk thing to them while you use the water fountain. You know, um, ask them to to move a little bit out of your way if you're, you know, like, there's so many human friendly ways to approach the situation. And I really do think it's just about, like, injecting that humanity back into the equation, because we've decided that these people are not human for whatever reason. um, And they're scary, scary monsters. Um, But really, it's like, what would you do if someone, oh, this is such a great analogy. What would you do if your coworker was standing beside like the water cooler at work? You would not call the cops on them. It's like, it's the same situation at the end of the day. Retextured, reskin. You're in a park at a park water fountain and there's someone who's, you know, crashing there because they don't have a place to live. Or it's like walking up to the water cooler at work and your coworker standing next there. Both of them are humans. And realistically at the end of the day, there's probably stats that confirm that there is no, you're in no more danger in either of them. You know, Actually, like the, the stats, uh, I, I think I can speak a little bit to this as someone who has a great interest in statistics. Um, you, that your coworker is more of a danger to you. I was going to say it's probably your coworker anyway, because that's usually how it ends up being. It's the things that we've portrayed as scary and you need to stay away from are usually not that scary. Um, and so, yeah, this has just been a little, a little encouragement because I know it's hard. It's, it's something that we've been taught our whole lives uh, for people who have been attacked in any way in public. Like, it's easy to sort of make that connection to like, ah, I was attacked in public, so I should, you know, stay away from, you know, houseless people. It, that connection doesn't actually exist, though. You know, it's, it's not something we need to be afraid of. Approach these like approach everyone with compassion, approach everyone with like, Hey, this is another human living their life. I don't know their story, you know, and that, that's what it comes down to. And, um, and I mean, stop putting profit first. 
that would be the, the last thing the the big oh one. that's that, that too I, I was going to say hopefully one of the things that we kind of collectively take away from from this pandemic um and i, I might have said this last episode i don't know i say this all the time but hopefully <laughs> one of the things I'm, I'm definitely going to say it again um but hopefully one of the things that we collectively take away at least a little bit is more of a sense of helping each other as a community um, and Absolutely. not just this like everyone for themselves kind of libertarian attitude. Uh, if you're like a business owner, going back to the, the earlier example, even if you didn't directly do anything to cause someone to be unhoused, you know, who is now sleeping near your store, you're part of a, a community, and if people in a community help each other, then everyone is better off for it. Um, so I think I think it would be really great if we kind of let go a little bit of that idea. You're only responsible for things that like you're directly um, that you directly caused, because that's that's like not a way to live. Yeah, absolutely. You said it. I think you said that perfectly. And I think like also just. One of the other things that, you know, we didn't really talk about, and I, I you know, on my part, at least I'd, I'd say it was intentional because I think it's just complete bullshit, uh, but is the idea that, like, some people deserve to be unhoused or, like, their actions have, like, brought this upon them. That's garbage. Everything, like, it's, everything is how we decide it to be, like, if, if you want to make the argument that, oh, this person abused drugs and now they're there. And it's like, okay, well, have you seen how other countries, you know, uh, treat and support people who have dealt with drug addiction versus how we handle it here? Like, it, it, it's all nonsense. If you're trying to, like, blame someone for being unhoused, I think there's a lot of unlearning about, there. <laughs> if, if we're talking about drugs, which is one of the big ones, no one is saying that, like, all the Wall Street guys who are on coke 24-7, like, deserve to be unhoused. Yeah. No or one is saying, like... Any, like, sorry, yeah? I, I mean, anyone our age, like, anyone around our age, like, from 18 to, you know, 25, are, how often do you think about, oh, my friend who smokes weed every now and then, or all the time, or whatever, like, I'm sure everyone knows someone who uses substances maybe a little more than is healthy but it's not like you immediately are like oh i hate this person this person deserves hell or whatever it's like no it's because we know them we like are like oh this person's one of the good people like it's it's all this sort of we've made all this up in our heads and it all really at the end does come back to if you're rich and you're abusing drugs then it's fine but if you're poor and abusing drugs it's not fine but and even within the myth of like houseless people abuse drugs it doesn't hold up no it's and and even just at the end of the day even if there is a very clear line like in someone's life where they were doing good they started abusing drugs for like no reason and now they're unhoused it's like who cares like they are now suffering let's help them out <laughs> you know like they are going through something whether they brought it on themselves someone else did it to them like who cares? We should just be doing better to help out our community. And that is really kind of my only response to, you know, anyone who tries to bring in that like, oh, well, some people who are unhoused are like brought it on themselves or deserve it or whatever. Like, 
mm, bull it's yeah it's it's just bullshit. it's who cares they're another human being that if you're within their power to help why shouldn't you that's just kind of how but, uh... i kind of see it on a bit of a more positive note, yeah. how can we help, David? What, what, what can we do to help people that is who a are great, unhoused? Great, great question. Um, what can you do? Um, so many things. One is, and I think probably all of our episodes that are taking the more serious tone are probably going to end like this, is pay attention to who you're voting for because that has a huge impact on how um, city council decides to deal with you know, the, the epidemic of, of homelessness, houselessness in, in the city. That's um, right. Municipal elections also do matter. And there's no political parties with, like, all the nonsense that usually is going on that makes it hard to sort of figure out. It's typically pretty easy to figure out what people running for city council stand for. Um, so that's always going to be my top thing is vote for the right people who are going to, you know, a, a very... It actually just happened this past week at Toronto City Council. Someone tried to move a motion that was phrased in some sort of like, be it resolved that the city of Toronto do everything possible to um, clear encampments. And then someone was like, that doesn't talk at all about how we're going to help those people in the encampments. So someone tried to change the motion to be phrased so that be it resolved that the city of Toronto um, tries to have zero citizens who are unhoused or something like that. And it's even just that language shift in a policy can do so much because achieving the goal of clearing encampments just means you need to buy a bulldozer and run over a bunch of people's, you know, temporary, I guess, homes. And versus... that's exactly what they've been doing uh, if you're keeping up with the police raids. <laughs> exactly what they do uh, versus, you know, people who are a little more aware of sort of the fact that this is more of a social issue and there's different and better ways to handle it can actually make a change. Um, other than political support, though, and like supporting the right things and voting for people that are good, um, the uh, a place where I learn most of my, you know, information about what's going on is the Encampment Support Network of Toronto, which is at ESN underscore TO uh, on Instagram. Uh, and I believe also on Twitter as well. I should have looked up to make sure their handle was the same across all things. And I will I will do that quickly right now while Alex talks about other things that we can do. Yeah, I, I actually, that's a good opportunity because I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you mentioned other than politics. And I think that's a bit of a, a misnomer over there because um, like elected politics is is formal politics. But something like the Encampment Support Network that is still very much political uh, and being involved in that is a form of political action just because it's not within the formal structure and bureaucracy that we have set up doesn't mean that it isn't like political and doesn't mean that it doesn't still have an impact on the formal kind of policy making side. Yeah. Uh, and I would so say David, often, you... I did look it up ESN underscore TO on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and yeah, and I, I would I would go even further to say a lot of the times these organizations like like the Encampment Support Network are doing a lot more than the traditional politics solutions can uh, and will go because the typical you know change at City Hall takes forever. Um, it doesn't mean we should stop fighting for it and should 
you know, give up on progressive candidates. But I think it's so important that until some far off day when we have a, you know, whole range of politicians at all levels of government that are committed to, you know, on this issue, working to support people who are experiencing homelessness and actually get them proper support and the things that they need getting involved in organizations like this, even if at the start that is just following it and seeing what they're up to, uh, you know, and then once you're more comfortable, you show up to a protest or you volunteer some time at one of the many things that they organize. Um, you know, I think that's how we really go about changing our communities and neighborhoods. Um, Certainly, and, yeah. and there, are different, there are different levels of involvement, as, as you mentioned. Um, so if you're thinking, you know, that getting involved with this means that you have to go and chain yourself to a aforementioned bulldozer and get arrested. Um, that That is, like, activists have gotten arrested in recent months defending uh, encampments that were that were being raided. But that isn't the only thing. Like, it's a support network. Um, you know, they're also there to bring people clean water and food and supplies and just help them meet the, the the necessities of their life and i i certainly hope no one would argue that that's a straightforwardly good thing to do if you are supplying like water to someone who doesn't have access to clean water well um, i believe there's an entire political party south of the border that is passing laws to say that giving people water is bad so it's not unheard of so if this is your your message the message you needed to hear, um, giving people water is a good thing. And um, it is definitely one of the things that you can do getting involved with something like the Encampment Support Network. Um, there's also so much overlap. You know, there's obviously communities that experience uh, being unhoused more than others. Uh, some that come to mind are definitely queer folks, specifically trans folks, um, and then also um, Indigenous folks is, is another big one that we see disproportionately in this city. Indigenous um, folks, I, I think also um, sex workers are typically more likely or, or like there's a large, also a larger percent that There is experience. an overlap between sex workers and unhoused people. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think, so there's a lot of organizations like, you know, if you want to specifically uh, support some, I mean, it's Pride Month. Um, so if you want to specifically support queer trans folks who are experiencing um, homelessness, uh, I know the 519, I believe we plugged them in the last episode, but they do specific targeted outreach to, you know, folks who are queer, trans, and experiencing homelessness, like I said. Um, so there's also a, a lot of... And it's not a coincidence. Sorry, yeah, I, I was just going to say it's not a, not a coincidence that there is overlap between no. all these marginalized groups. Yeah, it's not just... A random thing that happened it is a direct causation of the many many different ways that the world conspires against different communities um but we were trying to keep this last little bit positive so like we said what can you do i think bringing it back to what alex was saying it early, saying earlier is the biggest thing and, and really what we've been saying the whole podcast is treating 
these humans like humans. You know, that's the biggest thing I think that everyone can do. It costs us nothing. Uh, and it takes like not even time, you know, it doesn't, you're already walking past people experiencing, you know, uh, houselessness. So like just saying hi to them as you pass them or, you know, the person who's holding the door, you know, as you walk into the Tim's, instead of just walking past them saying, thank you, saying, how's your day on your way out? All those sorts of things are huge things that you can do to just improve the quality of life and the fact that these people almost exclusively are experiencing hostility from their neighbors. Um, and then, yeah, getting, getting involved um, with the encampment support network, following them, sharing what they're doing are some really great ways to show our support for our neighbors, you know, because at the end of the day, just like you, you know, would give your next door neighbor some sugar if they asked for it. That sounds sexual the way I, I don't know why the way I said that sounded more sexual than it should be. But you know what I'm trying to say, treat these people like our neighbors, treat them like the humans that 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 we all are. Um, and we've all got some unlearning to do. Yeah, I I think that's a really great note to wrap up this episode on. So that, yeah, I guess that brings us to the end of episode two. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in, listening. I don't know why we say tuning in still, as if you're sitting at the knob of, like, your FM radio listening to us. But, we could start broadcasting. Do you think there, there's some airwaves available? <laughs> Where do you expect us to buy a, um, <laughs> like, well, a broadcast a tower? tower. On my balcony. Yeah, okay. it'll be fine. Sure. I, 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 I know a guy. Yeah, I don't think that'll violate your condo's rules at all. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, it's been great talking to slash with you uh, for our second week doing this. Um, just like uh, at the end of our first episode, reminder that uh, we release these episodes bi-weekly, so every two weeks on Wednesdays. So make sure to hit follow, subscribe, like, whatever your the podcast place you're listening to, whatever they call the follow button, uh, make sure to do that. And we will and see you. And stream us repeatedly on a low volume while you sleep to boost <laughs> our metrics. Yeah, we're going to need every single person to give us a five-star rating on every single podcast platform. We're just kidding. Um, we're doing this for fun and because we enjoy giving out information and honestly just talking with each other about these topics. So thank you so much to anyone who uh, has been enjoying this journey along with us as always uh you can follow us on twitter um which is our our handle on twitter is at much caring um because at the insistence of one of the two of the co-hosts of this podcast it was we, me i was the one who insisted i like that to the twitter handle it was the automatic twitter handle that we were given when we typed in like oh, set up your account. What do you want your name to be? And it gave us that. And Alex was very insistent that we keep it. So head on over to Much Caring on Twitter. Feel free to let us know what you thought. Ask us questions. Always excited to uh, engage with anyone who's listening. So thank you so much. And have a great and safe day. <laughs>